Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All things Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another summer update episode from the London is Blue podcast. We are coming back at you guys Fresh off of the World Cup final, just finishing, Nick. A lot of emotions, a lot of excitement. I think, you know, before we dive into anything specific, overall, I loved it. I thought it was a great tournament as, you know, a neutral fan that didn't have any rooting interest in it. But what about you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, same. Uh, (laughs) uh, I I really, I thought it was the best tournament of our generation. It was... Uh, incredibly hard play. There were tons of goals. There was tons of drama, extra time, penalties. Uh, you know, France came out as the as the best team. I think we owe a, a congratulations to Giroud and Ngolo for uh, for taking France all the way. And uh, you know, it's it's a it's amazing. You know, I think Mike, it's amazing for their generation. Uh, you know that golden generation that you know we hear so many times. It's like Croatia's golden generation against France's golden generation, 
And uh, it's amazing that France's gold, golden generation actually pulled it off, huh? Yeah, no, I, I mean, this World Cup did nothing but deliver. Uh, you know, Germany, not so much. That broke my heart. But I think overall, um, it made up for it. A fantastic final. I can't think of another, another one like it. Um, and, you know, overall, I think, you know, hats off to all the teams. And I, I just... I'm blown away. I'm still a little bit at a loss and a little teary-eyed seeing uh, Giroud lifting that trophy and being so happy. So, Well, we'll get into more of that. Just a note, though, but Dan is not with us, so it will be Mike, Nick, and myself running this episode for you guys. Uh, but as I kind of mentioned, you know, with the, with the World Cup here, Chelsea had a ton of players involved, not only just in the group stages, but, you know, plenty of stuff in the knockout runs and even the final as well. You know, we talked about the fact that um, you know, Giroud and N'Golo Kante today, you know, lifting the trophy. The World Cup is theirs. Fantastic to kind of have that. Uh, you know, I do kind of, as we recap some of these Chelsea performances, we'll do the good, the meh, and the bad, as, as Nick likes to break it down. <laughs> but I do, as, you know, a strong member of the goalkeeping union, would also like to point out Yoris's unbelievably spursy, stupid, <laughs> stupid goal. I mean, you're cruising at 4-1. There's no need. I know he's on his weaker foot. Just boot it. But nope, he decided to try to, uh, you know, be cheeky and push it back across uh, Manzukic and Nick. Heads up play by that striker. And I was like, here we go. Let's make it really interesting. But obviously that was how it ended. Never change, Spurs. Never change. I even had a Spurs friend uh, from work who tweeted out, he goes, when England got knocked out, he goes, it makes sense if you have five Spurs players in the team and you lose. <laughs> and I was like, wow, shots fired at yourself. But, yeah, no, no and, doubt. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk through some of these Chelsea performances at the World Cup. So, good. This is what we kind of had collectively. Obviously, please disagree with us if you and let us know if you do. Uh, but we had Hazard, this, uh, Kante, Giroud, Courtois, and William. We thought that those five players had a very strong World Cup. Obviously, today, Courtois winning the Golden Glove and Hazard getting the Silver Ball Award. Mike, out of those five, who was kind of your top, top? Chelsea player of the tournament uh, I gotta go Conte um, I think the way that the Prime Minister of Croatia hugged him uh, while giving away medals um, I think it says how everyone felt watching him uh, throughout the tournament he was an absolute joy what do you think Nick it's such a beast I mean everyone knows my deep deep love for that man he had a, he had a kind of crap final um, but I mean his tournament was so strong and he frees up you know, bo- both of the Chelsea players on France freed up the rest of their talented team to do the things that they can do. I think Giroud, even though he didn't score a goal in 500-some-odd minutes uh, of play, really freed up uh, Mbappe and Pogba and um, Griezmann to do the things that they can do. Um, you know, I think you know those are the kind of the hallmarks of a really great team is that, you know, not everyone has to be a all-world superstar scoring eight goals a game but you know you have the right balance between uh players who can who can step in and do kind of dirty work and uh, other players who are more on the flair side so uh N'Golo Conte was definitely you know hands hands above the best Chelsea player at the tournament no shortage of love for him obviously even shouts for him to be in the golden ball race but you know as a defensive midfielder you're just never going to get those plaudits you know you have Modric who was the playmaker and essentially the maestro for Croatia who made it to the final uh Azar being the the creative catalyst for Belgium not even scoring all the goals but definitely you know creating a ton of chances and then you know 
obviously. Um, you know, Griezmann in third place there. Uh, took a lot of penalties, gave a lot of L dances. Not not really sure what else he did, but, uh, you know, <laughs> he had some assists in there, so we'll give it to him. All right, the meh, kind of the in-between. Not not a bad World Cup, you know, not not a not a great World Cup, but we had Batshuayi and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think that's mainly down to the lack of minutes. Uh, Cahill didn't even play, so you can't slate him for that. Moses played decent, you know, but Nigeria just didn't really get it all together. Uh, Rudiger, again, didn't really get the minutes. Christensen played a little bit out of position. I, I personally thought he actually struggled a little bit. He's probably like at the bottom of our meh, kind of teetering. Yeah. So, again, Nick, you know, from that list, it, you know, Moses probably played the most minutes, but it, it was a tough run for Nigeria. Everyone else we have here, they just they didn't really get the minutes to, to shine. Yeah, and I think the the big shout here would have been against Croatia. Ruben Loftus Cheek would have changed the game. I, I think so uh, for England. It, it, you know, you bring in Eric Dyer, who's basically a Henderson but worse, and you know, it's like you need a creative spark. You need someone with legs who's going to be able to kind of bomb up and down and create something. And I think Ruben would have done that. Uh, that being said, um, you know, I think I think Moses was a little. I don't know if, if Moses disappointed me because I think a lot was put on his shoulders from a crea- creative standpoint for Nigeria. But, man, like the diving with him has become a thing now, and I'm kind of bummed out about that. Um, he, he dove a few times during this tournament. Not not my favorite thing in the world, so I hope he kind of gets that out of his system. And then, and then Mike, I think Christensen did struggle, um, not only playing out of position, uh, against Croatia, but also just in the middle of defense, and you know you're, you're always kind of worried about the concussion thing with him now. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, I think it, I think it's a tough a tough swap for him to go to the midfield. I mean, Croatia was incredible when they were playing on top of their game. You know, the thing that really stood out to me was Rudiger. Uh, I think there is no, um, you know, there's a direct correlation with Germany only winning one game with Rudiger being on the field. They missed his his hustle and his pace. Um, they were so so um, so bad against counterattacks by other teams, and I think Rudiger would have shored up um, a lot of that. So I think it was disappointing uh, coaching by both Low and Southgate to you know not give Ruben uh, uh, multiple chances at looks when I think it would have helped England. I mean, Rudiger did play that ball that essentially, you know, broke on the counterattack. And I know Boateng ended up getting away with not being sent off for, for pushing the attackers they shot. But I think Lowe just kind of stuck on that. And the fact that there was a, a risk and gamble, things were going so bad. He's just like, man, I can't risk anything. But, you know, that, those are decisions I have to make. And I, I think it was a poor one as well. But, you know, he did have that one issue, but overall, like, I know wildly, wildly more positive than negative. I got to say, look, I, I understand trying to go with Boateng and Hummels. Those are your best center backs. But Boateng was banged up. Hummels was a little injured at times. And neither of them had the pace they needed. And then it would be one thing if they had played just them. But Sula is, you know, the one man slower than murder soccer. So I just think it was poorly played. And, and, they, <laughs> and they paid the price. So... I, I think you know my my final thought on Germany is I think Boateng is way past it. Oh, for sure. I I, I, I don't see the value in him anymore. It's like a top level defender. Uh, he he looked bad. But speaking of bad, Brandon, there's who, there's, who there's is one, the worst. There's one person who takes this award and runs with it. <laughs> oh, um, man. And obviously that was Willie C. And he Willie Caballero, not all his fault. 
plenty of it was, but man, Argentina did, they did not give themselves a lot of hope or anything. Um, he obviously got pulled and there were changes that were made because what he was offering in the middle of the, of the, of the goal was not, it was not great. And so look, he's a perennial backup. Uh, he's been there for a while. When you don't have a lot of minutes, that's what happens. So, uh, you know, again, uh, Argentina, he was not the only one to uh, not really put himself in a good light. But from a Chelsea standpoint, there's no one at this low level uh, other than Willie Caballero. Yeah. He, he was a goat in this tournament. A scapegoat, but definitely a goat. <laughs> I like that. All right. Well, anyways, let us know what else you guys think about the World Cup if we miss anything. Um, you know, obviously to end it, we just want to talk about the – uh, the goal of the tournament, we can quick hit these and, and then move on. We'll get into the summer rumors. But again, just just an awesome tournament, I think, for ch- a lot of Chelsea players as well as just as fans. Man, like the fact that it's only four years is, is obviously not soon enough. So goal of the tournament, Nick, we'll start with you. Then we can go to Mike, and then I will give mine for the third. It, goal of the tournament, and there were some really great goals. Uh, easy for me is Pavar from France uh, against Argentina. Once in a lifetime hit, beautiful goal, sliced it across, went outside of the goalpost, came back in. Uh, you know, just a stunning. Str- I got out of my, got off the couch and like danced around. It was so good. Um, amazing, amazing goal for him. Anything that can get Nick off the couch is a big deal, people. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all right, Mike. Yeah, as I say, for me, it's it's got to be KDB against Brazil. Um, I think he tore a hole in the back of that net. I remember watching it and just thinking, like, I think my jaw dropped. And while we've seen him score similar goals um, against ourselves and other times this season, uh, I was just, I think it just shows, it's not a one in a million hit to me. It, it's um, just pure class from him. And what about you? To me, I actually threw on up the VAR. They added so many goals to this tournament, <laughs> so many penalties. I just no. I to me, I think that um, uh, you know it, it actually comes down to Pavar as well. But I, I thought that this was a new, new thing. So the fact that VAR brought so many extra goals to the game that probably never would have happened, it added so much more drama to me. I thought that was a really exciting thing to the World Cup because most of us went in thinking, "Man, this is going to ruin it." And I think that there was only one match where everyone kind of looked at it and said. Wow, VAR messed up. So overall, for the most part, um, it, it was well done. So yeah, it was it was definitely vindicated as a tool. I think uh, and it was used pretty appropriately throughout the tournament. So you know, I, I think we we don't give credit to the to the staff when things you know don't go horribly wrong. So I just you know I, I wanted to put that out there. I think it was really uh, a good use of a, a an advanced tool for like the most important tournament. It's it's good. Absolutely. All right, well, let's go ahead and shift full on to Chelsea uh, with our first part being the fact that Antonio Conte has left Chelsea. And that's all we're going to say because that's all the club said and that's all we can say. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, So real quick, just to run through his time at Chelsea and then we'll react to this is obviously he signed in April 4th, 2016 while the Italian manager. And if he would have done that in today's world, he probably would have been sacked from the Italy manager right before the Euros started. (laughs) He did switch the Uh. formation in the middle of the Arsenal match, uh, which we lost to a 3-4-3, but... 
this you know huge shift in tactics led to a 13 match league match consecutive win streak tying arsenal's record which now we know city broke it this past season anyways on to january 13th of 2017 conte became the first manager in history to win three consecutive manager of the month awards in october november and december again while we were on that amazing win streak uh, we won the 2016-17 Premier League title in his first season at Chelsea. Chelsea also set a new Premier League record for the most wins in a single season with 30 league victories out of 38 league matches. Again, recently broken. Uh, but then he, you skip ahead an, an entire 12 months after winning this, the league title, and we don't have anything else to add until we won the 2018 FA Cup Final. So in a nutshell, uh, Nick, that's Antonio Conte's Chelsea tenure. The one thing that really stood out to me and actually made me laugh kind of out of surprise was he's now the third longest tenured manager under Roman Abramovich at two full seasons. It's... So it's unbelievable. First of all, that stat is ridiculous. Um, uh, Also, the stat that Eden Hazard's had six managers in, in six seasons isn't great either. Um. Yeah. I. So I. I. I sent my thoughts out on Twitter. You can go look at them uh, this week. You know. I think. Uh, thinking back to when he was hired, we went to go see him in preseason training up in Minneapolis, and we actually had the chance to ask him a question in a press conference, and we got our picture with him, and then we saw the evolution of his team that season, and it was exciting. It was passionate. Um, it was it was everything that that the the Mourinho hitting era <laughs> wasn't right. I mean, we were desperate at that point for a manager who showed that he cared, um, and he did. The first match against West Ham, you know, Diego Costa scores the the winner, and he's in the stands, and I think everyone fell in love with him. Um, and I wish that's where the story ended, uh, but it, but it doesn't, right? You know, we went through the last went through the last year and I think, you know, started off by having a terrible FA Cup appearance uh, against Arsenal that, you know, to, that would have won the double and then it bleeds over to the offseason when he doesn't get the signings he wants and then it's a it's a tumultuous year, ups and downs and a lot of complaining and, you know, it, I think he wore on us a little bit as a pod, you know, if, if we're being honest or I'll speak for myself, he wore on me a little bit this season and, it just seemed inevitable that, you know, no one goes up against Roman Abramovich and wins, you know. So it seemed inevitable that he was going to have to go. And, uh, you know, I think as a manager, he's one of the best tacticians that we've ever had. Uh, and that's including Jose version one. And I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to remember his time. I'm going to choose to remember his time fondly, not, not like it was at the end, because I think he did... He did for us as a show, and he did for you know a lot of Chelsea fans. Uh, he got him kind of back into the club after a weird kind of couple year run there. So uh, you know, I just I want to tip my hat to him. I want to say thank you, and and you know, hopefully he he kind of finds the the best landing spot to suit his style, Mike. Yeah, I I, I have to agree with you on a lot of points. Um, I will choose to remember him from that absolute amount of passion and joy that he brought to the club especially in you know 16 17 um and i think it's tough because you know like kind of like with anything with any manager you know that there's going to be an end at some point and and that's not going to be great 
Um, what I will say is I think there's a lot of people, obviously we're all entitled to our opinions and, and we're all passionate fans, but um, when it comes down to it, to me, you know, say what you will about the club um, or, or certain things, but, but I think that one thing that Roman does is demand excellence, and I think that can be a hard thing to swallow at times, but um, for me, you know what? Spurs have had Poch for four years, and what do they have to show for that? You know what I mean? And, and yeah, Eden's had six managers, but there's a whole lot of silverware. There's a whole lot of things that have been accomplished, and maybe it's not been in the way that people want to see it, but you know, I think you have to accept that um, there are results that are that are that we get from doing this. So um, I think things will change, but um, you know, I, I think overall it's 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 bittersweet i'll miss him and i'll miss his passion but um you know it, it we also missed it this past season so what do you think well Brian? if you want if you want to take edin's comments as well and we'll talk about him later you know he has now commented on the fact that you know antonio's gone um, more or less by not mentioning that and saying yeah we knew sorry was going to be coming and he said he doesn't care as long as sorry helps him win trophies and that's all the players want right like they want to be competing at the top level uh, for trophies and for championships uh, and for titles and honors and that is the the basis of which Roman Abramovich runs this club at I know we did win a trophy but you know we missed Champions League so the fact is we don't have an opportunity to win um, the European Cup next season so you know Abramovich made some decisions I think it's also you know it the first season, everything was perfect, very much the honeymoon season with Antonio Conte. Um, we saw some of his um, past issues come up when he was at Juventus at Chelsea, uh, friction with the board, stress with the playing staff. I think that, you know, we even saw that with Jose a little bit when a lot of the tactics were negative and defensive. I mean, we even had for the first time players coming out and, you know, David Luiz and Rudiger, if you consider Rudiger to criticize it, and even Eden Hazard at, at the end of the season, and just saying that they weren't really enjoying the tactics or the way the manager's doing it. And so part of it, the club has to look out and say, all right, well, we need to protect our, our best assets and our playing staff, and we always know that it's easier to switch one manager than the team. So again, Antonio Conte is etched into Chelsea's history, deservedly so, as being a fantastic manager that won silverware and titles for Chelsea. Uh, you know, he will get credit personally for essentially reshaping a lot of the tactics within the Premier League. And I think that, again, all of these plots are deserved. Uh, he brought Moses into the fold, which was fantastic. Uh, it taught us that Dave can be an amazing center back, you know, and maybe through injury, through other things, Christensen came through as well. So uh, I, I think that those are a lot of the positives. And then also the one negative for me that always stood out was the, um, oh, I'm sorry, in bringing Golo Kante to the club. I mean, you can't thank the man enough for that. In Golo. Seriously. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, he forced Diego Costa to move, and we realized how much we missed having uh, a, a, a true goal scorer that is Premier League ready in the team. So it, it, it's a mixed bag, but, you know, like I said, you can choose how you remember him, but on this podcast, you can tell it's overwhelmingly positive, uh, and that's the take we'll do. So, uh, again, um, Antonio, thank you for everything you've done. Uh, everyone that's coming out saying, giving you messages of support, it sounds like you always handled your business with the utmost respect for other people and took your time to, to say hi and ask how they're doing, and I think that's a fantastic way to live your life. So, 
Anyways, that will wrap up Antonio Conte's tenure on this podcast and at Chelsea, but we will move on to the new gaffer. Sorry, in just a second. We do, Nick, want to highlight a question from one of our listeners, Jake F. Cohen. Who is this? Who is this young whippersnapper again? Uh, one Jake Cohen. He's verified, so he must be important of some sort. Um, yeah, so on our last podcast, um, well, our second to last podcast, uh, I told you guys that we were going to launch a charity effort in, uh, in, in a raffle format for the Veterans Community Project, which is a, uh, a U.S.-based uh, veteran support uh, charity. They are an amazing group of people. Uh, they have a full suite of services to help get veterans off the street uh, into housing and then back integrated into society if they haven't uh, been integrated for a while. And it, it takes a lot of effort, time, and, and, and resources to do that. And I've met their CEO uh, a couple of months ago. And Jake Cohen, who is uh, the reference point here in this in this question, donated a bunch of really, really great Chelsea items, including a team-signed kit from the team that traveled to, to Barcelona last year, whiskey glasses, a signed Lampard photo, um, all sorts of stuff that's up for raffle. Um, all you have to do uh, to enter this thing, you know, we have uh, we've had a ton of support so far, and, and we're and we're really we're really blessed on this deal. But all you have to do is go to go dot rally up dot com uh, forward slash London Blue Pod. So London Blue Pod, just like our Twitter handle, and we've linked to it in our in our social media. Um, we're about a third of the way to our goal. Um, you know, I set a goal of like $1,500 uh, raised for all these items, which I, I don't think is too crazy. We're about, f- you know, 500 plus dollars of the way there. We'd really, really, really love your support to, to make this happen. Um, and, and I know that, you know, uh, some of our, our lawyer listening like Shane and Eric have already contributed and, and Chad Harris as well. You guys are all the, the best. Um, so this is something really near and dear to, to our heart. Um, you know, we do hope that we're able to kind of do more than just a podcast. And, and this is a, a chance for us to branch out and really help some people. And even if it's a small amount, like $1,500, you know, it, it all counts for something. So major shout out to Jake, uh, major shout out to uh, the Veterans Community Project. And uh, and yeah, send in your funds if, if you have them available. Absolutely. And these are the best types of ways to donate because you get Chelsea stuff in return. And a lot of them are very unique and valuable um, from emotional ties and just, um, you know, Chelsea cred in, in the streets. You guys know how that goes. All right. But moving on to part two, Maritu sorry, has joined Chelsea. It is official. Even had a nice little video welcoming him and he will be the new manager going forward. Obviously, today is Sunday, July 15th. The transfer window is only open for about a month longer, so we'll get into that specifically. But we can know already after our amazing episode last weekend with Alex, uh, you know, discussing sorry in depth. If you haven't listened to that, go back and do it. It's fantastic. He uh, did a ton of research into Maurizio Sarri uh, and, and, you know, wrote a fantastical article about it. Uh, you want to go back and listen. But as we kind of now react to the news and we've now reacted to the videos and the articles and everything that's come out, as Chelsea fans, Mike, what maybe, let's let's start with the positive. What excites you about Sarri's arrival to Chelsea? Um, I would have to start out with, I mean, 
we you know how, how many times has it been said that it's it's basically the most attractive football being played in Europe right now um, I think when you break it down a little bit more you're looking at two goals a game average under him uh, just high pressing beautiful football uh, I think that from uh, especially the American standpoint Chelsea playing attractive football it's a win for me what about you Nick yeah, I, I, I know I know he comes with this offensive prowess and, and this beautiful football and I, I think that's always fantastic. It feels like the club's been you know, at least fans that we've talked to are just are dying for some really, really super attractive football. Uh, and we've seen it in flashes over the last ten years, so I d I don't wanna say that we play like Stoke by any means, but um, you know, I think this will probably be a more consistent product. I, I think I'm more excited for Sari, you know, at least from what Alex and, and others have been able to kind of communicate to us is that he is a coach first. So he is worried about player development. He's not worried. Uh, I, I mean, he's obviously worried about tactics and, and setup and things like that, but he really does his, his best work on the training ground and he really does his best work to, to improve players. And I think that when you have a guy like Christensen or a guy like Bakayoko, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mason Mount, all these, you know, Callum Hudson-Adore, if if that holds true, it's a really exciting uh, it's a really exciting signing as a manager, and and all you can do is just you know sit back, let him do his job, and and hope that you know the product, the end product of the of his job is that these players get better and kind of fulfill their potential. So I'm really excited about that, and and certainly grateful to everyone who is who would be kind of quote unquote sorry experts. Uh, for for chiming in and kind of letting us know about his personality and his and his management style because I think it'll be a breath of fresh air for the players. I think that's a really good point that you bring up. You know, we are starting to hear some things about what players didn't like about Conte and and a lot of it was the shadow play and tactics, tactics, tactics. Essentially, you know, drilling it in a lot of standing around, a lot of film. Where sorry is going to be much more about like you said player development. I think it's going to be a lot more engaging for some of these players. And if we can, if he can think about this. If he could do to Bakayoko what he did to Koulibaly as far as his ability to play on the ball and be tactically aware, that'll be fantastic. I mean, the, the amount of development that he can do with some of these guys and, and it'll be a bit more play style and kind of play-focused training, you're always going to uh, get a higher level of engagement and usually a higher level of satisfaction out of them. So I think that's really interesting that he brings that uh, kind of perspective to it. I mean, you know the system, the style he wants to play, but again, kind of doing it through drills, doing it through um, you know game-like scenarios and things like that. I know for me personally, as, as a player, any time that we had to do shadow playing training, you just it was hard to concentrate because it's slow pace, it's a lot of standing around, a lot of details, uh, and it's just it's not engaging. So I think that for me, um, you know, also having someone take a fresh look at all of the assets that Chelsea have. From a playing staff standpoint, we're talking about youth academy, loan army, first team. I think that he's going to take a really, really big look and wide look into that and see what we have. You know, like I said, Victor Moses was the was a big surprise the last time we had. Um, you know, we, we essentially had a new manager, and I, I'm really looking forward to see who uh, is going to be the new surprise breakthrough this upcoming season. That's always exciting to see when someone from within kind of uh, makes a big jump. So 
obviously I want to see 150 goals next season, but you know, I can settle with <laughs> 75, 80. <laughs> um, just realistic expectations, yeah, baby. Absolutely. That's what we do. I mean, here. if Maurizio Sarri doesn't win the quadruple next season, he should be sacked. We should not wait. <laughs> I'm two done. Seasons. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What about any concerns that maybe you guys have with Sarri's rival, Nick? I know that there's been some, some questions about, you know, tactics, his, his lack of youth integration, even some off the field things, but anything at this point in, in kind of vetting him that you're like, you know, I'm not really sure if he's going to be able to thrive in this area at Chelsea. Uh, first of all, and, and I think it's really important that this is said, and I hope it, I hope this resonates for the people who, who listen our show, listen to our show on a weekly basis. Give the dude a chance, okay? Like, let him get in, let him do his thing. Uh, you know, the results will speak for themselves. So if you're if you're a person who doesn't want to give him a chance or you don't think he's as good as Antonio was or, or Prime Jose was, man, like, that's a really bad way to start the relationship, right? Like, let, let's give him a chance. Let's let him do it. And I think that's my primary concern, guys, is that the the fan uh, the fan base was really split on Antonio uh, versus you know a, a newer style coming in and I think towards the end of the year it was a little bit more kind of leaning towards the new style but I just hope that people give him a chance and they give him a little bit of time uh, to to get his stuff right I mean if we remember correctly it took Antonio three months to get his his style integrated into the team and he didn't have to deal with Europa League in that time. You know, I think sorry, it's going to be coming quick and fast at sorry, and I think he's going to have to adapt quickly um, and and play good football, which is not a, an easy thing to do. So that's my my primary concern, and my secondary concern is uh, about the you know, and, and not any of our friends in the press, but the press in general in England. You know, he's already had a couple of slip, you know, infamous slip ups in in Italy, um, and I and I truly hope that he is able to put that stuff behind him and that he's able to, to move forward in a really uh, positive way and that he's able to, you know, kind of give back, you know, some positivity where he hasn't before. Um, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, the press as a, as a, as a whole machine, specifically not the people that we have on our show because we think they're reasonable and and great, but you know, your daily stars of the world are going to try and eat him alive. And that kind of, that kind of bothers me. So, um, that, those are my two concerns, Mike. What about you? Well, real quick, I'm going to jump in. So, one, okay. elaborate on the concerns because, like, I think we should just air it out and say what happened in Italy. Yeah, so he's had a couple of run-ins, right? So he had a run-in with a female reporter um, uh, that was uh, – that I'm not going to, to uh, repeat the quote, but it was essentially – We can yeah, just say he had a yeah, sexist was, run with a female reporter. It was, and then he's had a couple of homophobic – what what would be perceived as homophobic uh, quips at former players and and press uh, as well in Italy that were not you know that were not cool and, and not certainly not indicative of what a, a leader at Chelsea should be saying. Um, so these are the things that like are very easy. Well, first of all, they're incredibly fucking stupid. So he needs to get it together. Second of all, it's very easy then for the press to not worry about the the things that he's doing on the training ground and just pick at that all day. Um, because it is stupid and it's classless and, and I you know I I don't ever want to bury someone for you know a mistake like that but you know he certainly I don't think he can have that repeatable experience at Chelsea and survive Correct. I just don't think I don't think that's a, a possibility so he's walking a, a tightrope Mike I mean certainly that's like 
you know, it's a, it is a concern, right? Yeah, you, you just have to hope that, you know, we all live in a, a, a day and time now where we've probably all said really stupid things. Um, and hopefully, Definitely. hopefully we, we know better and we realize that those things, you know, there's real impacts with that. Um, that said, to kind of, t- uh, you know, go along with what you were saying, you know, look, look at Maradona's comments when uh, Sorry signed for Napoli originally. You know what I mean? He had to come back and apologize because, you know, given a little bit of time, you know, Sorry worked his magic. Um, for me, I think, I, I think what excites me about him is also what um, worries me a little bit. Some with just the, you know, a high, high pressing, high line, you know, it leaves you vulnerable to counters. And I, I think for me, personally again i'm not an expert on syria or anything like that but everything i'm seeing and looking at with his attacking triangle uh up top and everything else it appears to me that his his game uh you know depends on speed and i'm you know i'm concerned about replacing it at you know uh in those key positions that he has to make sure that we have the personnel to do that you know and hopefully you know i think people have talked about adaptability um you know for me i I can't tell because I think he did a masterful job of replacing, uh, you know, Higuain when he left for Juventus. So um, I think it's just going to be a super exciting time to kind of watch the the club transform. And I think we're going to see that all across the board. And, you know, I I think if we can look at his time at Empoli and in other situations, he took, you know, he took what he had and, and, and made something great. And I'm hoping that we can find somebody who will work uh, well with you know the director of football and the academy to really um, take us to the next level and and I, I think that the club I look at the signing as not a one time you know a one year get us trophies or you're gone I think they're making a true investment I think he's going to be given I'm, I hope three years to really turn the club around and I think we're we're as a club we're going in a new direction that's that's my hope all right. Uh, you know, I guess my concern is is probably a little bit the same as Nick's is the fact that he's getting such a late start and that, you know, the season's mm-hmm. going to come fast and he has a lot to, to ramp up with. You know, but at the same time, Chelsea have a ton of resources. Uh, I would like to see the training staff sorted out immediately. Uh, I'm assuming Conte's team will go, but, you know, some people are staying, some people aren't. Uh, from a goalkeeping standpoint, um, does... does you know, Conte's um, to manager stay. Does Lola Sean come back into the mix? That actually depends on Courtois, which we'll touch on. So I don't know. To me, I just feel like there's still a lot of backroom changes and shuffles that happen. I am glad to see that his uh, his assistant manager from Empoli, who when uh, Sari left and went to Naples, uh, he went to Inter Milan. So I think that he has a really good track record and he's, you know, been consistently at, at you know, bigger teams. Uh, so I'm excited for them to reunite. And then obviously, you know, anytime that Zola can be a part of the club uh, in a very public role, I think everyone gets excited about that. So my, my concern is really, let's just nail down this technical staff. Let's get this preseason program uh, structured and running so that uh, everyone, as they come back from their different uh, vacations post-World Cup, we can we can get growing, like get the unit, uh, get our, our teamwork and our start to gel and, and learn and, and go from there. So again, I, I kind of echo that sentiment about timing and, and you know giving him enough time to prepare and, and integrate all of his ideas with the current squad. And obviously, um, you know as we'll talk about in the third part, there's still a lot of transfer business I think that's going to be done this summer. And uh, unfortunately, 
waiting after the World Cup with an early transfer window close in the, in the middle of August this season. It's just uh, going to be a little hectic. So we'll have to see how it goes. To, to wrap this part up, though, I, I guess, um, you know, taking a holistic approach to this, Nick, overall, do you think that the club made the right decision replacing Antonio Conte with Maurizio Sarri? I do. I do. I think it was the right move. I think that there were a lot of bridges burned between, um, you know, at least at least from what we hear, uh, between Antonio Conte and the club. If you were to replace him, we, we did a, a, a two-part series with Joe Tweeds back in, like, late March or early April. So go find those in our feed. Um, basically talking about the direction of the club, um, the need for a director of football, the need for a, a more cohesive philosophy. And Sari was one of the managers that we talked about in that two-part episode with the potential to come in uh, and really make a huge change at Chelsea. And um, he was actually my pick um, of, of the managers that we were talking about at the time, which were like Tuchel and uh, uh, Hardim and, and Sari were kind of the big three. So I'm, I'm excited to see him come in. I, I really hope that he has time to settle, that he's able to you know, get, get his, his staff and, and the players he wants in order. And you know, I think that you know, the only question I've ever had is like, I don't, I don't think that there are a ton of managers better than Antonio Conte in the world. I, I really don't. And I know that's probably gonna grind some gears out there. Uh, we'll see if Sarri's better. You know, I think he's gonna have to earn it. and. Uh, I, I think it was the right call, and let's let's all just pray that it, it works out the way it should. Mike, you know, when it comes, I kind of divide it up, and I could be wrong, so feel free to take it, but the way I look at it is if you trust the club and the hierarchy, then you say, yes, the club made the right decision because they know the most amount of information in the middle. And if you say, no, I don't trust the club, they should have kept Conte. To me then, that just shows a sign of distrust in, in the club's hierarchy. And man, every time this happens, all these questions come up about, do you trust the board or do you not? But again, it doesn't have to be that simple, or it can be a lot more simple for us, just taking it at face value and reacting, you know, as we do on this platform. I mean, do you think it was best for Chelsea to, to move Conte on and bring in someone new happened to being sorry. Um, overall, I you know I sadly think that the the correct answer is yes. I think we did the right thing. Um, I feel like when you look at you know sixteen seventeen Conte, it would be unimaginable un- unimaginable to to replace him. He gave up on us last year. Um, he quit on us. Uh, I think when you br- when you burn that bright, I think it's very very obvious when you start phoning things in. Uh, I think that he revolutionized things with the 3-4-3, but then I think he was not able to adapt in that second season once things had been figured out or when he had limited personnel or, you know, uh, Eden's injury early on, you know, all the other things. But I think overall, we are all supporters of the club. And as much as I love individual players and managers, uh, I want what's best for the club, and I, I feel that the club is moving in the right decision to, you know, I think we're looking at a 10-year plan of of making what is one of the best academies in Europe flow into the first team. And I think at the end of the day, if this is the result that we will see from this, then I don't think, you know, in, in six months or a year, any of us will even question whether it was the right decision or not. All right. Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, my quick one in summation of this is, yes, I, I do think it was the right decision. Um, 
you know, like I said, the hard part is everything uh, is much more clear in hindsight. It's 2020. We'll figure it out. But uh, the way things were going, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of unrest between the playing staff and everything. And I, I personally trust the club to make the right decision. Um, that's where I'm at. Uh, that can always change. But as it stands, I've got full confidence. Uh, one last thing I just wanted to touch on is we did get a tweet from Abhinav saying two points about sorry. He said, one, Sari seems rigid when it comes to changing tactics or formations. Unlike Conte, Sari is not the one to change or alter tactics depending on the opposition. Again, I think that just comes back to having a style and a system. Guardiola does not change tactics based on who he plays. Uh, I think that that could create consistency and a lot more deeper development for some of our players. Uh, two, he says, Sari is also not keen on squad rotation. And this could be a problem for Chelsea since we have a grueling fixture. I, I would just like to point out because we talked about this with Alex in that podcast. It's not so much that he isn't keen on it. He just didn't ever have depth. Same thing. He doesn't integrate youth. He didn't have youth at Napoli. So I, I think that this is an awesome opportunity for him to use the riches of Chelsea as a club uh, to come in and kind of um, do new things that he hasn't had a, been able to do in the past. So anyways, the last one we do, I guess we do have one more from Eric who said, do you think Sarri style would be more beneficial for Morata or Mishi? And just give me a one name answer on this. Mike, we'll start with you. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I think first I just want to reply to the first question with Abhinav. Uh, as far as rotation, did we rotate in 16-17? No. We set the same lineup and we won. So, you know, I think that that's, you know, questionable um as far as i'm just gonna go with mishi i've uh, i'm a little bit um i i think i'm kind of done with murata for right now i want to give him the benefit of the doubt for the next season if he's here um but i would much rather give the i'd rather give mishi a shot I um, I think it will benefit Murata more personally. I, I think the style benefits him more. The more that I I watch that Napoli team play, I, I think he's going to be a rock star. And let's just hope he, he kind of gets it together and he's healthy, Brandon. It will see. I kind of lean towards Mishi just because I feel like it's a closer style to what Dortmund in Belgium play rather than Murata, you know, because he's a scores a lot with his head. But, you know, I, I'm split. But I, to be fair, Eric, I am leaning towards Mishi. But honestly, the way things go, as we're about to roll into part three with our transfer updates, who knows if either of them are even going to be there. So it might not even <laughs> yeah. matter yeah. at this point. All right. So anyways, let's go ahead and just keep it going. So part three is our transfer update. A lot has been happening since the last time we recorded. The big one, obviously, is that Jorginho has signed for Chelsea on a five-year contract, apparently leaving negotiations with Man City two weeks ago to wait for this. And depending on who you believe, either Napoli bullied him into accepting more wages and living in London over Manchester, or if you believe Man's, you know, Chelsea's side is we made him a better deal. So yes, he he wanted to come here. Um, Nick. According to Alex McGovern, who we did the podcast with, he said Jorginho would be the most important signing if Chelsea could pull it off to bring in with Sarri. Uh, how excited are you for Jorginho to come into our midfield? Massive coup. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I think we've had... Uh, we've been skeptical about some of the moves that have happened in the last year, and, like, I'm not going to back away from that. All we can do is react in real time, but... Uh, I think this is a, a, a very shrewd move. I think it, you know, anytime you can beat Man City to a player, like, awesome. 
Uh, and th- I tweeted this yesterday on my on my personal account. Um, but I think he is going to be a different midfielder than we've had for a really long time. You know, I think where you know we've had an Angola Conte um, style kind of really defensive midfielder with Essie and Makaleli. Uh, we've had the Lampards, which are kind of more box to box. You know, I think Ruben, you know, could be kind of in that category. Um, you know, the the Balik is is kind of the interesting one, where he's he's a combination of physical and and breathtakingly kind of technical. Uh, Jorginho is a pass master. He's he uh, has completed the most passes in Serie A the last two or three seasons, I believe. Is what Alex said. And he is a pass-first mentality, not like Sesk, who's like an assist master, but just keeping the ball flowing, keeping it moving. He's a deep-line playmaker, uh, and he definitely is not afraid to stick a foot in and, and make a tackle either, where uh, we, we kind of know where Sesk uh, has deficiencies there. So uh, he is different to, to every other midfielder that we currently have. I think it's a massive move, Mike, uh, and I, I'm excited to see him kind of at the, the base of that midfield. Yeah, agreed. I think for me personally watching last season, my concern it was directly in the middle of the, the midfield with, with Sesk. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm at Rainier Blues, so you can come block me for saying this. But, um, you know, I am I'm a, I think this is masterful to, to pull in the, you know, the playmaker f- w- along with the coach i'm i truly am looking forward to watching this season regardless of how we do because i think we will be seeing a change in in philosophy and play that we haven't seen and i'm you know the more highlights i watch it's just the the giddier i get brandon what about you no, no, I think for you know it's it's a great one. Obviously, uh, he's he's gonna settle very quickly, which is fantastic. We're gonna be able to hit the ground running. One thing that I would point out is probably a good thing for not only Chelsea but the rest of the Premier League is that apparently Man City are done overspending, uh, and now that they'll walk away from negotiations with players if they want twenty, thirty thousand more a week, I think that's fantastic. Otherwise, like a season even two seasons ago, City just would have been like, whatever, done. Like, remember the amount that they were paying in agent fees two seasons ago when Pep first arrived to get all the players he wanted? Uh, I think it's a really strong sign that Chelsea are immediately going out and spending 50 million on a top-level playmaker with the manager once. I think it's a great sign, not only for uh, Chelsea's quality of players, but their intentions to support Sarri as well. So um, that's kind of where I'm at from a bigger picture. So, so some new headlines that are coming out very recently are that Sari is happy to peace, uh, make peace with Marat and Giroud, send them out, maybe even sacrifice them in order to bring in Gonzalo Higuain. So at age 30, he will quickly be 31 in the middle of next season. Um, amazing run at Napoli with Sari, which makes sense. He wants a known quantity a player who he has a good relationship with which he knows he can make successful now whether or not you know Iguain wants to come to Chelsea at the current state is is a little bit different but 71 goals and 104 appearances over three years for Napoli and 40 goals and 73 appearances for Juventus in two seasons uh, he's not doing bad by any means um I just don't know Nick are we giving up too much for what we're getting back in return yeah I so I thought Giroud was a stopgap solution anyway. He has one year left on his contract. So, uh, and he's played really well for us. He played, you know, pretty well for France in the World Cup, even though he didn't get a goal. He he did a lot of the dirty work. That kind of surprised me. I, you know, again, I think if if you can get away 
you know, if you can get Iguain in, even though he's old-ish, um, and and get any sort of return like he he had for for Napoli, which is seventy-one goals over the course of three seasons, uh, that sounds pretty great. Um, now, you know, there are other strikers out there. I'm sure everyone has their own preferences, but for what's realistic, and and it's pretty realistic considering that Ronaldo is now at now at Juventus. Um, if we can get him for a, a reasonable fee and Sarri's comfortable with him and, you know, then, I, then I'm good. So uh, that's just generally how I feel, Mike. What, what's your preference on the striker situation? Um, I think it, for me it comes down to money. Uh, I, I don't love that, that Iguain is, I'm sorry, Iguain is 30. Uh, that worries me a little bit, especially if we're going to be paying 60, 70 million for him. Um, I feel like getting rid of Giroud to me I think he played especially you know just watching the final it's the epitome of of you know the counter press and the high pressing that um sorry expects from you know his his attackers and I just can't you know not watch that guy and, and you know just have a big smile on your face with the amount of effort and hustle he puts in um like I said I think as far as Murata I'm willing to definitely give him a second chance. I, I hope that he's figured things out, um, but I just I'm kind of up in the air, and I'm going to trust I'm going to trust the new coach. You know, whatever we do, I'll, I'll be behind that. Uh, you know, I think that uh, as long as that price goes down to forty fifty, I think you can get a good return on it. And again, it helps Sari and the team settle. You know, it makes sense for me, Murata. I can make peace with him leaving. Uh, but again, if you send up Murata Andrew. You have to bring someone else in. You can't go through a season with two strikers. We did that. It didn't work. That's, again, a depth issue. The next one we have is Barcelona apparently are ready to raid Chelsea. They want William, Azard, and Conte. Allegedly, they will give us, in return, boatloads of cash and or Andre Gomes in the midfield, which <laughs> yeah, we can all laugh at. Ah. <laughs> uh. So stupid. <laughs> dumbest rumor of the summer. The is the one of the dumbest things I've ever. Hey, you know what? We're going to take the World Cup winning midfield maestro in Golo Conte and in return I am going to send you a player who we didn't think was good and never played for for Barcelona uh, in exchange. Fair deal? Like get get out of here. Like I ah, come on. Man, like that's a dumb that's a dumb rumor. The the cash thing they don't first of all, Barcelona doesn't have enough cash for all three of those players. Maybe even one of those players at, at what I think the rate would be. Two, like they, they would have to give up a hell of a lot more in return on players, but you don't see like the player swap happen very often, Mike. Like you don't no. it, it's rare to see players go back and forth and no. money. Yeah, I mean if they have a burning desire to give us sixty million pounds for William, I'll take it, you know? All day, every day. Uh, as far as either Conte or Hazard going, I don't see it. I don't think that one the club is. I, I mean, how can you not see the impact of of Conte on your team? You know, I, I, you'd have to be crazy to sell him. Um, and I just think it's a silly rumor at best. And uh, Barcelona can just uh, go back with with the terrible offers. Well, so then obviously Courtois to Real Madrid, you know, for cash is another popular one. Um, but to me, it's actually a more troubling sign. The fact that a lot of Chelsea players 
because there's so much kind of transition and unknown around the club, and there's a lot of people saying, oh, Chelsea are back to rebuilding stage. Like, William, Izzard, Conte, Courtois, these are players in their prime. Obviously, William sunsetting a little bit. They don't want to be a part of a rebuilding project. Again, like I said this at the beginning, they want to win trophies, titles, honors. And I think that this is concerning to me that all of a sudden some of our best assets are letting contracts run down, which opens up the the, the possibility for you know these these rumors and these these potential uh, signings to to happen. And so to me, I'm actually more concerned that how almost like. It almost seems like Chelsea are like being targeted is like, oh, hey, guys, this is an opportunity to go in and steal some of their best players. They don't have solid contracts on these guys. They don't. uh, Their players aren't completely committed. They are up in the air. They're coming out and publicly saying, I'm interested in listening to offers, you know, trying to force Chelsea's hand. To me, that's like this is a much bigger concern. I know that we missed out on Tulisa last summer because we were busy negotiating with Conte because he was throwing a fit. I am now concerned that we've kind of gotten behind the game a little bit, and I don't know how or what needs to happen to fix that. But uh, to me, I'm actually a, a lot more concerned that it's not one player. Like the fact that Engolo Conte now is even thinking about looking at offers, you know, with PSG and things like that. Um, I, that's I don't know. I'm I'm concerned about that. I think the fact that. All of these guys, if you go, um, it's going to be uh, huge holes all over the field. And obviously, when it comes to Courtois, uh, Chelsea have the deal lined up that if they can get enough money to bring in Allison, then it's essentially you just are redirecting where the funds are going. And I'm okay with that. But man, if you're to if you're to lose Azard and Conte, even potentially William in a transition year, uh, people who've been at the club and are just some of our best players. Like that's massively concerning to me. You know, Rugani, Golovin, Iguain, these players aren't going to be able to, you know, just pick up the torch and keep running. Yeah, that that's the thing that I, I get a little weirded out by with all these, you know, with the transition. It's it is natural too, right? Like it was natural when United was going through transition that, you know, Angel Di Maria got picked off. It was natural that, you know, when when Leicester City um, became champions that, you know, they had players picked off. I I think we have very, very valuable assets. So there are two things that need to happen. One, if if players go, like if a William or whatever goes, uh, that we get fair market value and or a little more than fair market value for that player. And two, that we actually use those funds to redirect and buy someone like a Leon Bailey or like a Pulisic or someone that would be able to replace him, right? Because like just selling players is how you get relegated um, and how you miss out on the Champions League and all this stuff like Chelsea need to be really shrewd in their business they have it's it's always in a, it's always a better position to be when you have the asset and 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 other people are vying for the asset than to be the one vying for the asset so uh, we have control there uh, Courtois, as far as I'm concerned, I think is gone. Uh, that doesn't. I'm sure that's not going to surprise a ton of people. If you get Allison back, I'm not saying Allison's as good of a keeper right now, but I think it's a it's a fair enough kind of swap where I'm not going to be overly upset. There is no one in the world we could bring in to replace Hazard or Conte of of fair value. So either you bring in a couple of pieces to try and make up for their 
impact or you figure out a way to get him to sign an extension like that those are the only two things i can think of mike yeah um i think you know on on the personal uh text messages that go back and forth this has been a bit of a a disagreement i think between brandon and myself uh i think especially when we're looking at courtois you know to me he doesn't want to be here he he's a multimillionaire making hundreds of thousands of dollars a week and he complains about not being able to have his family uh, in London or go home or to go see them and I think for me it's a situation of highly highly talented player but you know he didn't want to leave Madrid he didn't even ever give Chelsea a chance before he was trying to pull out of his contract you know he he was trying to stay there before we ever even brought him home and then he threw a fit with Czech and all the other things so I think there's desires and I think there are obviously if you have top players of course why wouldn't every team in the world want to make an approach for Conte you know, and as far as Eden, you know, I love I love Hazard, and you know, I think the truth is, I was thinking about this the other night. I mean, the reason why he came to Chelsea and not Arsenal in 2012 was because we won the Champions League, and his goal is to win the Champions League. So, I totally understand where he's coming from. Uh, I think he's unreplaceable, uh, especially for money. I think it'd be really hard to get a payment from him. I would hope that we'd have somebody lined up before we actually announced his sale. Um, but I think that I think as a club, we need to have players who really want to be here. And, you know, that's that's my take. And, yeah, we need talented people, but I want players who want to be here and fight for positions here, not Belgians who want guaranteed time and don't want to fight for it. That's my take. You heard it here first, folks. Mike is anti-Belgian. Just remember that. You know, well, you have to keep in mind that obviously you have to create something desirable to get people that want to be there as well. So I think that there is a balance to both sides. We don't have any rights to just having the best players, but Chelsea have done an incredible job over the last 15, 16 seasons of creating uh, a very desirable player team to come and play for and compete at so like i said it is a bit of a transitional time obviously all the transfers that we're talking about are more about people leaving chelsea than coming in um but you know Jorginho is definitely a great start to to the summer transfer window for chelsea but that's going to wrap it up for this week like i said summer transfer update number three is in the books we hope you enjoyed it if there's anything we missed always tweet at us facebook instagram us let us know what you think but until next time chelsea fans huge week of signings if you believe alfredo padula what in the world is going to happen at chelsea but we'll bring it all to you in a week's time you can trust on that so until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high if you don't want the conversation to stop Make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. The London is Blue podcast, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.